So Kagawa, I, I found in our library in, in Dunedin uh, a whole treasure trove of missionary biographies that nobody read in the top story of the library. And so for some years I read these. Kagawa was one of them. He went to live in the slums of Japan um, as a young Christian, planted churches, Bible schools, um, reached the alcoholics, the prostitutes, preached to the emperor, preached to more Japanese than anyone else, converted more Japanese than everyone else. And not just Kagawa, all of those biographies, the missionaries lived among the poor. Those that bore much fruit. And Jesus did, did that, so it just made sense. Around the world, one and a half billion people live in the slums of megacities like Manila, Calcutta, and Sao Paulo. Viv Grigg has lived, planted churches, and brought the kingdom of God to these slums for the last 40 years and discipled thousands of other Christians to do the same. But it has not been an easy ride. It's taken Viv years to work out all the ways Jesus wants to transform people's lives. We're talking with Viv today about how he discovered the whole gospel of Jesus Christ and saw the kingdom of God come in urban poor areas. Enjoy! So this is Wellington, a little bit later Wellington, we, we had four community houses. Yeah. We reached uh, a lot of people, a lot of students. One of the brothers and I used to pray over a map of the world, so, so the world was, was our focus. And we pray in front of the fireplace, and where we prayed during those, the cities we prayed for, that's where God has worked. Mm. So what we prayed for, God has answered for both of us. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Most of us had a sense of corporate dimension, yeah. six of my Six of my team in Wellington ended up on the mission field, and the navigators provided a vehicle for me to end up on the mission field under under the leadership of an experienced missionary. What happened in your mid-20s in, when you started out in the Philippines? So at 24, I went there after completing a degree in engineering and then teaching, um, and then uh, planned a student student ministry first, then a middle-class church, then got into the slums. Some alcoholics come to the Lord, I sit with them, we drink, I drink coffee, they drink their beer. I say, what about a Bible study? Uh, just drunkers only. And they're, they're like, yeah, let's do it, Sunday morning before we get drunk. And so they do. Three weeks later, they've responded to the Jesus that's sitting with them, and the person of kind of skinny Kiwi. Uh, one of them, he reads the Bible in three weeks. And uh, then he comes to me, Kuya Viv, big brother Viv, um, uh, if I don't get a job, I'm just going to go back to my drinking. What do I do? We try and find him a job. We don't succeed. He goes back to his drinking. He dies an alcoholic. So my search was a search for God because I'd, I'd followed the rules that if you study the Bible and pray, you become more spiritual, and it wasn't happening. The, the gospel of salvation that we'd been taught, a fundamentalist gospel, didn't work. So what exactly was the gospel for the poor? And then I was studying under Beryl Durness as he began to go from Genesis to Revelations in a theology class about the kingdom of God. And that whole theme broke open the understanding of what is the gospel and that the gospel impinges on the social and the economic and the political and, and every dimension of life mm. so that as we're engaging with poverty, we deal with poverty. As we're engaging with, with oppression, we deal with oppression. So your immediate discipleship is economic. Mm. Um, it's spiritual, but it's economic. 
Um, so then the question in my mind is, how do I find jobs? And then some 70 ladies were praying for me. They thought I should get married, so they gave me $1,000 to get married. I uh, didn't know who to marry, so I gave it to this young fellowship, and they discussed what do we do with this money. They decided a credit cooperative where people could come with proposals uh, for small businesses. So that became a, a revolving loan fund that began to get people out of poverty. Then in your late 20s, early 30s, you lived in a slum called Tatalon. The vision you had for living among the poor kind of snowballed among Filipinos and people around the world? Yeah, it was uh, a good time where the Lord blessed. And uh, 29 middle-class Filipinos came to work with me. I was online last night with one. So those people have then multiplied mm -hmm. uh, works among the poor and among the elites. So as these Christians have gone to cities around the world, this is the mindset th that people have been going with? These movements among the urban poor that just keep multiplying, mm -hmm. they're, they're movements at the grassroots level. So so the grassroots movement is, is critical. And so the stuff I've just talked about isn't it's more theoretical, intellectual type thinking, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. The grassroots level is just let's plant a church and worship God and the grassroots movement of churches. Church planting is foundational. Then as people rise up into the middle class and then the educated classes, then another set of movements occur, which are social movements. Hmm. And these two tend to be based in people's understanding of scriptural values. And that's the key, because that little boy in Uganda in a Pentecostal church where it's noisy and emotional, but he keeps hearing the pastor say, you have meaning. God has a vocation for you. When he's 25, he gets into university because the pastor said, and you need to become educated because the scriptures speak about becoming wise. Hmm. Gets his degree. And 25 years later, he'll be at the top of society running a business. And when he's at the top of society, He'll be working alongside the politicians because he's got a lot of money they keep coming and so he can influence the political domain mm. so we find 50 years after revivals that there is a change of the economics of society and and so that's what we're seeing in brazil at mm. the moment we're seeing corruption being it seems like it's chaos but actually corruption is being cleaned up and i would say a story that sums it all up in a way how god unfolded that over the decades in the early 2000s Viv was at a meeting with some other leaders focused on the urban poor around the world. And I guess at that meeting, Viv felt compelled to say that God would be raising up 50,000 Christians to live among the poor. And then he said instead out loud that maybe God would raise up 5,000. And then a colleague corrected him and said, um, actually, I think Viv meant to say 50,000. That That's happened? right. And everybody basically stood up and applauded because they knew the figures. They were the leaders of 300 churches, 5,000 churches. They knew that's what we needed. Mm -hmm. And God has done that since yeah, then. Yeah, it's as best we can. It's hard to calculate, but I'm pretty yeah. sure that he's done much more than that now. Oh. Yeah. That's wild.
How would you describe the good news of Jesus with all of these components together? Yeah. Like, what's the good news of Jesus? Yeah. You're asking a question to redefine evangelical theology. So this is a this is a deep question. So it's all right for us who are evangelicals who come from narrower spiritual traditions to move to a broader understanding of the kingdom of God as engaging every aspect of society. Mm. That's affirmed at a global level by evangelical leaders around the world. The answer is, is pretty simple. How did the people understand Jesus when he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor? Well, the people, they understood the Jubilee. And in the Jubilee, in Leviticus 23, every 50 years, people that go back to their lands, they get their lands back. If it's been sold, they get it back. Slaves are set free. Um, the poor people are basically given back their dignity, and the rich people, their wealth is taken away. And equality of some kind is redeveloped across Israel. And, and in the passage on, on the Jubilee, it says, go and proclaim this. So the first thing is blow the trumpet, proclaim it. That's what Jesus is doing. They understood that's what he's doing. And so in their minds, they're understanding it's the Jubilee. What does this mean for us? It means the rich will be brought down, the poor are lifted up. That's Luke you know, in describing it in the beginning of his gospel. Yeah. Uh, so they're hearing an economic gospel with spiritual roots to it because the roots go back into the manner when they're in the exodus and how God provided for them supernaturally. So during the Sabbath year and the Jubilee year, they're not to work, but God will provide for them. So there's a spiritual dimension to it. There's an economic dimension. And because you're dealing with structures and structural uh, economics, it's a nationwide thing. You're dealing with politics. So when he says to set free the oppressed, in Pentecostal terms, it's like to deliver people from demons. Well, that's, that's in there. But there's a wider thing to set people free from the structural oppressions of society. And that's particularly the case in, in the urban setting where, where poverty is largely because of structural oppression. Global evangelicalism has defined that as the whole gospel to the whole world. But that spiritual side is yeah. central. So as I'm in my house in the slum, mm -hmm. um, it says I'm in the Word, as I'm praying, that the Lord comes. It's as I'm walking through the community and the Lord says to talk with this one or that one and take some clothes to this particular lady that's uh, you know, a prostitute or a widow um, or a woman whose daughter is a prostitute. And, and so you sit and as you talk, then she understands as she's trying to sell her baby to pay for the sins of her daughter. Mm. It's as I'm in prayer for a particular group of drunkards that the Lord says, go and sit with them, and I go and sit with them, and the drunkards' Bible studies begin, mm. and they multiply through the community, but they become my friends. That's how the church is formed. In these experiences, there's a presence of God, um, but that presence is rooted in that daily, daily extensive time mm. with the Lord. Yeah. Mm.